0: This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed.
1: boil the water away and we'll condense it downstream but we actually do it under a vacuum condition um, so we don't have to heat it up as much and so if you're under vacuum you have to put just a little bit of heat and we're basically boiling away the water and we'll condense it and we'll we'll recover water currently on station we are near 87 percent recovery
0: that's dr. Jill Williamson of NASA talking about filtering water on the International Space Station high above the earth And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. Find us at wqa.org, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is episode number 175. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. We're publishing this July 1st, 2020. If you're listening in America, happy 4th of July. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Williamson about water treatment in space, how all of the water, and I mean all of it, is captured and filtered and reused by the astronauts aboard the International Space Station. Later, we'll come back down to Earth for a regulatory update from Kathleen Burbage, and I'll have our WQA tip. Now on to NASA's Dr. Jill Williamson on WQA Radio. Well, you may have thought that water filtration was such a complicated uh, subject that it was almost like rocket science. Well, in some respects, it really is. In fact, our guest today knows all about it because she's from NASA. And we are welcoming to the program, Dr. Jill Williamson. And uh, she is, let me get the title right here, Jill. She's the ECLSS UPA subsystems manager, and I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to to explain what that is and, and tell us a little bit about what you do. So, welcome to the program, Jill.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's it's an honor to be able to tell our story about how we keep our astronauts happy and alive on the space station.
0: That's <laughs> so. for sure. Yeah, great. And and we're we're so excited about it these days with with the new SpaceX program. And uh, you know, it was it was fun to to watch the Dragon dock. Obviously, take off and dock, and and uh, soon they'll be coming back. So, again, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah let's, right. Let's... So,
1: yeah, it's, it's exciting times, uh, particularly because you know, it's been what over 10 years uh, or near that of, of being able to launch our own crew from our own ground. And so, with the retirement of the shuttle, you know, years back, you know, we didn't have that resupply frequency. And so, think of all the things to keep astronauts happy alive, right? Food, water, uh, science, you know, we didn't have that resupply frequency. And so we had to look at the hardware uh, for maintaining good air quality and water supply, uh, oxygen, CO2 management, that we had to close the loop essentially, right? We didn't have that resupply. And so where I come in, uh, with the environmental control life support systems eclss that nasa loves our acronyms
0: <laughs> so uh, we uh, keep uh.
1: throwing on a match as often as we can but but my my part in that story of eclss is within the the water recovery system and so part of closing the loop is reclaiming and recycling all sources of water and you think of water in a closed environment. Uh, you've been in your car when it's raining, you get that kind of foggy uh, consistency the condensate on your windshield, right? The humidity is coming out of your breath, your perspiration. And so we have to manage the humidity. And so we have a uh, condensate where we're basically using the basic think of your AC system at your house, you have a heat exchanger, hot side, cold side, and we'll condense the water and all the other condensables. And we'll push that through our water processor assembly. So humidity uh, is one of our water sources, but of course the other major source is urine. And so that's my specialty, (laughs) fortunately, unfortunately, but it's a a great, great subject to be in uh, where we're reclaiming as much water as we can from urine. And so we had to have a dedicated system to recover the water from urine. And so, so that's, that's, I, I get to play with pee every day is, is what I, I get to claim.
0: <laughs> what an interesting, interesting subject. And again, this is all taking place on the International Space Station.
1: Correct. Yeah. Okay. So we've had our systems basically full force since 2008. Um, and so we've had manned, uh space station for many many years and in about 12 years of that we've had um the urine processor assembly along with the water processor assembly
0: so can you take us through the process and, uh, and <laughs> sure just yes. and let us know what goes on
1: right so so our at least with with respect to the to the the water recovery from urine uh that our system is is a batch system so it's basically urine's gonna have to sit around for a little bit. um, And we stabilize the urine um, to keep things from growing. We'll have kind of that, know that urea in urine can break down into ammonia right that smelly gassy stuff right we don't we have to stabilize the urine so we actually use chemical to stabilize it Um, so it's pretty corrosive it's an inorganic acid and an oxidizing agent Uh, so for all you chemists out there (laughs) pretty corrosive environment but it's what stabilizes the urine and so we we push that that matrix through our system and basically we're boiling away the urine so think of a fancy still and we boil the water away and we'll condense it downstream but we actually do it under a vacuum condition um, so we don't have to heat it up as much and so if you're under vacuum you have to put just a little bit of heat and we're basically boiling away the water and we'll condense it and we'll we'll recover water currently on station we are near 87 percent recovery of water out of the urine so we still have we generate a brine and so that's really nasty really gunky stuff um, that we we just at the moment will kind of throw overboard so maybe that shooting star you made a wish on <laughs>
0: <laughs> was
1: that a star or you know so we'll end up having to trash our brine essentially at the end of the day but we're actually looking ahead trying to, to improve to where we're near 100 um, percent but but really so so the urine we're about 80 recovery, but we generate a distillate and it's pretty clean at that point, but we're going to further polish it and really scrub it. And this is where the water processor assembly comes in. So our distillate will combine with that condensate, your humidity condensate, and we will process that through um, pretty typical technologies for for water cleaning. We have multi-filtration beds. And so things of like a sorbent that love to to absorb uh, inorganics and non-volatile organics. Uh, And then anything left will go through a, a catalytic reactor and we're basically Oxidizing most everything else, uh, microbes and and any of those kind of smaller uh, volatile organics will just basically get obliterated. And at the end of the day, we have super clean water. Uh, we'll we'll final polish it. We'll add some iodine as um, our biocide. And so to keep things from growing after things all clean and scrubbed, got to keep it clean, keep things from growing. And we'll actually use iodine as our kind of biocide of choice. Um, and then it gets delivered to a storage tank for use by the crew, either for drinking food purposes or, or, or for some payloads experiments.
0: What would you describe, Jill, as the state of that clean water ready for use? Is it like a distilled water? Is, do you put anything back in for flavoring? Uh, You know, any mineralization or anything like that?
1: Yeah, what comes out of our system is cleaner than what you drink here terrestrially. And so it is essentially distilled water. Um, One of the reasons why we do that is, well, you are recycling your water over and over and over again. So you want to start off really clean. Um, But really, it helps us to monitor our technology. Is is something fatiguing, degrading, uh, that if we have very low, um, we we monitor for conductivity, so how much ions are in solution. And so if the conductivity starts increasing, we we will see it easier when you have really, really clean water. So at point of use, it is really clean, um, very distilled, and so a crew is going to have to supplement their diet because of the distilled water.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. We're talking with uh, Dr. Jill Williamson from NASA, and this is really an interesting conversation about how you recycle and repurpose the water that's on board the International Space Station. So very interesting. Hey, is that the same process that's going to be used on the moon someday when we return?
1: so what we have on space station not just in the water world the the urine world water world but also the air world um, and trace contaminant control the technology on space station is the baseline for all of those future band missions. We have so many years of experience and lessons learned that we can apply that knowledge for those manned missions. And so when we're looking to to the moon and, and then forward still to Mars, that that what you see on space station will be the baseline. Of course, there can be modifications to technology because once you get to partial gravity, any any resemblance of gravity, sometimes that makes our jobs easier. We don't have to have all those little extra little widgets (laughs) to make Mm. our technology work in microgravity. So, but, but we are looking to what we have on space station as kind of the baseline to get us to these other future manned missions.
0: Well, our members are obviously very concerned about water here on Earth, and we're always looking at ways to improve and, you know, new technologies and so forth. What can our members learn from what you're doing in space?
1: Wow, that's always such a good question um, that, at least, at least for us, um, we, we often will look to you guys out there that we will have our challenges. And when we, when we get to a more sustained presence for these manned missions, you know, we actually might actually look to you guys to help answer some of our problems, Uh, particularly with with biofilm growth is is also a a pretty hot topic for us. Uh, So, how do we mitigate or manage or prevent biofilm growth that these are some of the kind of current challenges that we're actually going to be looking to industry, um, private sectors or wherever to kind of help partner with us to solve some of these problems.
0: Well, that's and that's certainly the way this is going now with the SpaceX being this private-public partnership with with NASA. So it's very exciting to, to know that it's it and uh, optimistic as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we look to to as as much partnerships as we can. We know we can't do it all on our own and we oftentimes we'll have to rely on 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 the the outer world <laughs> to help help us get there. You know, it's a partnership, you know, the the commercialization, uh, the economy just really drives for this and, and yearns to, to get us there. So it's, it's exciting times and we always look forward to seeing seeing what else. The new state of the art will be, and, and and it's exciting, yeah.
0: Now, is there any talk or thought at all that you'll need to go up there someday to actually see how everything's working out and to see if everything you're thinking and doing here on Earth is actually working?
1: <laughs> you're talking about me going
0: yeah, to the space station? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So when I was a kid, I had thought, let's let's be an astronaut. That sounded so cool, right, as a kid. But then as I started getting older and, and starting to realize I get motion sickness pretty good, that I probably need to keep my feet on the ground, but how can I still be part of the NASA community, <laughs> right. but still be on the ground? So maybe not myself going up there, but, but this is where our future generations, you know, these next generation uh, scientists and engineers, you know, these are the ones that are taking us to Mars, so we need to inspire them and keep them in this world.
0: Well, it is an inspiration, and a lot of our members, like me, you know, grew up uh, watching Jim Lovell and Neil Armstrong and and all of the the great astronaut heroes. And so, it's exciting to know that this is still moving along, and and that water is part of the story up there in space.
1: Right. Yeah. Water. Um, we always always like to say that you know today's urn is tomorrow's coffee. So <laughs> drink up.
0: <laughs> hey, Jill, this was great. Thanks so much for doing this for us. And uh, all the best to you and your staff and team there at NASA.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for your time.
0: Dr. Jill Williamson with NASA joining us on WQA Radio.
2: This is Kathleen Burbage, WQA's Global Regulatory and Government Affairs Manager, with your regulatory update. Over the course of the current congressional session, Federal Representatives Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Representative Antonio Delgado of New York have introduced four bipartisan bills related to PFAS. House Bill 535, the PFAS Act, passed the House in January of 2020 and included provisions from Fitzpatrick and Delgado's PFAS Transparency Act, to prohibit indirect discharge of industry PFAS into wastewater systems unless there is prior notice, and their Clean Water Standards for PFAS Act that would add PFAS to the EPA's Clean Water Toxic Pollutants List. The latest bipartisan bill to be introduced by Fitzpatrick and Delgado is House Bill 7243, which was introduced in June of 2020 to further gather information on where PFAS contamination exists. It calls on the U.S. Corps of Engineers to see if a PFAS contamination is in any of the Corps' facilities or operating sites. Then identify and develop a cleanup plan. I encourage you to visit WQA's Government Affairs webpage to review the latest federal actions to pending legislation through WQA's bills list. I'm Kathleen Burbage for WQA Radio.
0: And now our WQA tip continue to check out the coronavirus resources on the WQA website. We've got new information on the Paycheck Protection Program and other resources, a video that steps you through the various pages. We've got a a resource called COVID-19 and drinking water. All of this is available at wqa.org slash coronavirus. Education is available as well. Our Live virtual education sessions that were held in April are all recorded and available for on-demand playback. You'll be able to see the recorded sessions throughout the year by going to wqa.org/convention, clicking on the education tab. If you did not register for convention or for those sessions, you can still do so. Uh, they are terrific resources for you and your entire team, and uh, even better deal: join. WQA. Become a member now and you'll get free access to all of that terrific education. Again, join now for access to that great education. Go to WQA.org/slash membership. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at WQA.org and of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at WQA.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio.